welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is USA Women's National Team Manager Veronica Alvarez. Coach Alvarez has been instrumental in putting the USA Women's Team on the map internationally. She played softball collegiately at Villanova. After college, she had an opportunity to go to Spain and compete. From 2008 to 2015, she played with USA Women's Baseball Squad, winning gold medal in the Pan American Games in 2015. Her managerial debut was in 2019, and she was honored with the Rod Dado Coach of the Year Award. In this episode, we discussed her path in baseball, her work with the Oakland Athletics as a catching instructor, the MLB Trailblazer Series, and the similarities to coaching baseball and her work as a firefighter paramedic. Let's welcome Veronica Alvarez to the podcast. Here with Veronica Alvarez, uh, USA Women's National Team Manager. Uh, I just saw USA Baseball 2019 was USA Baseball's Team of the Year, and then also um, instructor for Oakland A's also. So thanks for jumping on with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. You know, it's uh, we talked off air a while ago about the MLB Trailblazer Series. So for somebody that doesn't know the, about the Trailblazer Series, talk about that. The Trailblazer Series is an event for uh, 11 to 13 year old girls um, to come together. They bring in about 99 girls uh, that play baseball. Uh, and we, we host this event where they get split up into teams. We develop, we give them as many skill development sessions as possible. And then we get to play some games. So it's kind of like uh, not a tournament for a champ to find a champion, you know, necessarily, but just a tournament to get all the games in. So we play each of the, the groups are split into two age groups, 10, uh, 11 and 12 year olds, and then 12 and 13 year olds, depending on some skill level or, or whatnot. So, um, and then it's just a, it's a great event where the girls, sometimes it's their first time playing with other girls um, on a baseball field. So all they're worried about is being baseball players, which is phenomenal. How much is instruction as opposed to games for that? It's kind of a mix. I mean, in the years past, it was more games over instruction. And we've tried to incorporate more instruction this this year, especially. Um, last year, like the last two years, it was a virtual event due to COVID. 
uh, which was cool because then they got some other things that they really hadn't really gotten to do, which was the mental skills aspect. We did some vision board work, uh, goal setting and things like that. Uh, but this year we were able to set it up almost like we do with the women's national team. So it's this big rotation of trying to get everyone in a little bit of work at their primary and secondary position, getting some at-bats, uh, you know, in the cage with a coach, you know, off the tee and things like that. So they can get a little bit more uh, specialized instruction to them and not just a general information session. Have you used a vision board much for you personally? Oh, I love the vision board. I am a big believer of the vision board and everything on my vision board is just like coming true. So it's yeah. awesome. Uh, Manifestation. You know, women, I mean, that, that that's part of manifesting is, is you have to put it out there. You have to put you gotta it, put it out there. Yes. You got to put it in the universe for many reasons, right? It makes you kind of uh, back it up, right? Yeah. To do the work to back it up, but it also just puts it out there for it to be known. And then, you know, it becomes reality. So um, yeah, I, I did a vision board exercise with um, the girls, there's also an older girls event for MLB and USA baseball called the breakthrough series. And so I did this vision board exercise with them. My, our first year of COVID 2020. Um, and so I, I did it with them. I did my vision board to present to them. Um, and like I said, my vision board things, you know, I have a lot of things out there for, uh, just the game in general for women um, to have a place in the game. And all those things keep coming true. And I absolutely love to see it. And the people that have seen my vision board, whenever something happens, they send me a text and say, it's the vision board. So it's very exciting when that happens. When you lay yours out, is it pictures? Is it mod? Is it sayings? Like, how are you laying your vision board out? I like pictures. I'm a visual person. So, you know, I, I got, and I also like creativity. So I went on, you know, a deep dive of images on, on the internet or something maybe I had, um, in my archives, but, um, you know, I put it, it's a big picture board, which is wonderful. And I obviously I need to update it because things just keep happening and the realm of possibility keeps growing. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And it looked like uh, Demi Cheney was the MVP. I mean, what, what, what's her story? Great. I mean, she comes from a program in Chicago um, that has gotten some attention. I mean, I think they have some sort of link to the White Sox organization. So it's been wonderful. The whole group of players that came from that team were incredible. Uh, but De Demi was just... We, we always look for character-based players too, you know? So obviously they perform at a certain level, but once that kind of is exhibited... Um, like I said, her other teammates, and there are a lot of other players at this event that perform very well on field. And it's just that combination of performance and character uh, combined. And I so she, she pitched and she played infield. Uh, she just understands the game, did very well on the mound, and then had great plate appearances. So it was wonderful. And, and she plays within the Chicago White Sox ace program back home? Yes. I believe, I believe so. They now, now job. you're going to have to fact check me on that, but, um, yes, it's, it's a really cool team. Yeah. It looked like Kim Ang talked. So what, what was her message to the, to the girls? Yeah. It's just about, you know, not letting anybody hold you down. You know, that there are always going to be people naysayers and, and people out there trying to tell you that you don't belong or that what you want is wrong. Right. But who are they to say? So just kind of, um, you know, come to terms with what it is you want to achieve and, and do everything you need to do to, to achieve it. 
What were the options for you for baseball-wise? Did you have any options? I know you played softball, college softball, but did you have many options high school-wise for baseball? Well, no, I, I played baseball growing up when I was little, you know, through Little League and at the Boys and Girls Club in, in Miami, um, back when it was only the boys club. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I um, was able to play there and had good success on, on the boys teams and loved it. I just wanted to play baseball. Um, and then fast pitch softball started taking off in Miami. And so a friend of mine's mom, you know, she, she was kind of the person that started to pull me into softball. And I was very much like all the little girls I get to coach now. And I was anti the switch to softball. I didn't want to do it. Um, but then, you know, they convinced me because I was going to go to a school that had a, a team. And so why not just make the, the complete switch? Um, and so I did, and it was great. And I, I loved then all my goals kind of switched from baseball to softball. Um, and it was a great experience. I mean, like you said, I played college softball at Villanova University. I was able to play a summer of softball in Spain after that. I met really great friends, people, you know, and learned a lot of great lessons in, in that um, in that part of my life where I was able to be a collegiate athlete, which was incredible. D1 collegiate athlete, which a lot comes with that, right? Responsibility, time management, um, just the level of strength and conditioning that you're kind of exposed to and things like that. So uh, it, it was a really great experience, but my heart forevermore is baseball. And so the moment I got to come back to baseball, it's like I fell back in line with what I was supposed to be doing. And so after college, after Spain, um, I Googled the silver bullets, which was the Colorado silver bullets. You know, I had seen the game when I was 12 years old and I'll never forget it. It was one time it was televised. And I mean, that sits in my mind forevermore. And so I Googled them and it linked me to USA baseball's women's national team. And so I made contact and kind of forgot I had. And two years later, I got an email about an event in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin on 4th of July weekend. And I said, yes, and went tried out. And so I was able to make the team and, you know, kind of my, that's the fork in the road for me when I look back at it, because that weekend, I always like to think about the fork in the road and, you know, how did I get to where I am? And it's a, a lot of things that got me here, but this particular decision was it's 4th of July weekend is a big weekend in Miami to go to the Florida Keys if you have access to the Florida Keys. And so every year prior to 4th of July weekend, I was in the Florida Keys on a boat in the ocean. And so when I was presented with Kenosha, Wisconsin, or the Florida Keys, you know, I, I always think about that decision. And, you know, I was like, you know, what the heck, let's, let's go for baseball. And I'm so happy I did because Maybe I would have come across it some other way, but it wouldn't have been in the, this path, and I have really enjoyed this path. Was that Nash Park in Kenosha? Do you remember? It was, it was the one of the last fields that the All-American Girls Professional Baseball League was yeah. was at. Is that the name of it? No, but I know Kenosha because I grew up in Evansville, so that's where they filmed a league of their own. So Kenosha is oh, okay. one of the teams that's in a league of their own, so I do, yeah, I do it was, know that area. It was such a cool event. They did a rededication of the field. The women from the league that actually played in the league were there for their reunion. So, I mean, obviously I grew up watching a league of their own. I've probably seen it 300 times and that might be like a low number, but um, you know, so to be able to see them. And then it was one of the first times I had my name on the back of my Jersey and I went up to bat. And the only people that were there were my parents because they go with me everywhere. And when I got up to bat, everyone started cheering for me. And I was like, I don't know anybody here. And so I then realized that there was a woman named Isabel Alvarez that played in the league. And so all the women that were there 
from her teammates were cheering for me in honor of of Isabel Alvarez. So it was a really cool event and she was Cuban. So that was like a whole tie into, you know, my culture and, and my experiences. So it was, it was awesome. Hey, was it culture shock going from Miami to Philadelphia? Oh, a little bit culture shock. Yes. yes. <laughs> it Philly was, for me know. is a very unique place. It's, it's very yeah. unique. I've been all over the country and Philly for me is one of the most unique places I've ever been to. It is, but so is Miami, right? Yes. So it's like yep. the, the complete opposite. And right now I live in Denver, which is like, it's a 180 from Miami yeah. and not in the bad sense. It's just like exactly the opposite. No. So, um, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. I grew up, you know, I'm Cuban. My parents were born in Cuba. Uh, I spoke Spanish in the household. All my friends, though we speak English, spoke Spanish in the household. And then, you know, I went to Pennsylvania and it was the complete opposite. Nobody spoke Spanish. Um, and so it was, I see it as a positive. I, I learned about a different culture. I appreciated my culture on top of appreciating a different culture. So it was, it was a great experience. And that's part of getting out of your comfort zone too. Yes. Yeah. What brought Which you to Denver? Denver, my, my partner's an orthopedic surgeon. And Love so it. she's doing a fellowship here and has now accepted a job here. Now, yeah. going back to baseball, I mean, obviously it's it's a long shot playing softball in college, but I mean, was that always the the in the back of your mind that I want to try to get back on the baseball field? I was always more of a baseball player playing softball, if that meant, makes you know any sense. But um, and it wasn't I didn't know there was the possibility of getting back on the baseball field, which is which is part of my why right now. And like why I even post on social media when I do and things like that. It's just about the visibility of it and, and informing people that these things are possible. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I see a little girl and she, that plays baseball and doesn't know that there's a women's national team, I think it's such a shame, right? Because then she doesn't really know that there's something she could work towards. Yeah. Everyone's probably always chirping in her ear that she should switch to softball, and in the back of her mind, she probably thinks that's the only possibility or just be an anomaly and go play baseball and in professional baseball. Right. But um, which we could all dream. But it's it's like the awareness that there is actually something you could work towards or that there are people that have been doing it their entire lives and have have come out on top, you know, and, and survived it in a sense, you know, oh, which I think is sorry to go back to the trailblazer event. It's it's a really cool event. I also think not only for the players, but for the, the parents as well. So all the coaches at the Trailblazer event are women, either alumni of USA Baseball or women in, in baseball in some sort of realm. Um, so for these parents to go from being having their daughter be the only girl on the baseball field and potentially getting heckled or hearing negative comments from other parents to then coming to this event and seeing grown women, right, 30, 40, 50-year-old women that have done it their entire lives and are positive and are still in the game and are still making a difference um, involved in it. I think it's a great thing for them to see as well. Yeah. And we got Kelsey Whitmore now in the Atlantic league. So, I mean, that's a, that's a big piece right there. I mean, again, you've got to see it happen before it's a, a possibility. So there is a professional baseball player out there right now, Kelsey Whitmore. So, I mean, she's doing that's it in the right. Atlantic league. So it's really good. That's right. Kelsey is incredible. I mean, her work ethic is like nobody's I've ever seen. Yeah. And just her dedication to her goals yeah. is is impressive. So I, I've loved seeing that she has gotten this opportunity. And I am so excited to see where she goes with it. What does winning a gold medal for your country feel like? 
It, it, when the Pan American games in uh, 2015 as a player, I mean, it was, it was incredible, you know, as, as a kid, as a female athlete, especially a big goal of ours is to be Olympic athletes uh, because a lot of the times there's nothing, you know, that's the highest possibility. So though it wasn't the Olympics, it was a Pan American games. It's kind of, you know, the second largest multi-sport event. So just to be live in athlete village, uh, be there with my teammates, kind of be amongst all the other uh, sports best athletes. I mean, that was just an incredible experience in itself. And then to obviously win gold uh, was, I mean, you can't even put words to it, but it was an incredible thing. And we got to beat Canada forward and we always have a huge rivalry with Canada. So that was great. And then in 2019, also a Pan American, uh, but not, not the multi-sport event, just specific to women's baseball um, as a coach, you know, winning, it was uh, another, I mean, it was awesome. It's, our team, um, it was the same team that had competed pretty much in 2018 and wasn't, we weren't very successful. So to 2019, just to see the adjustments that the players uh, made and, and how they bought into the team culture and our kind of um, mindset and, and listening to new coaches that they had never even met before and just making adjustments. I mean, I give them so much credit because their performance was, I mean, it's, I mean, top notch. If you see the numbers, it's unbelievable. It was also, you know, if, if to say that it was only the Pan Ams, it wasn't a world cup, like that team competing against the world that year. Uh, I have zero doubt in my mind that we would have been successful. Is that just experience from the year previous or did you guys make some specific adjustments with them or was it just a year older where they have that more, another year of experience? Yeah, I mean, it was it was like adjustments. I'm talking like we don't get much time together. And from the time we got together, two weeks before competing, a week and a half before competing, we made a couple of like key adjustments and players' stances in, in, in their mechanics, which, you know, I give them credit because they're women who have dedicated themselves to this sport and have usually have to train on their own. So they come in having trained for three, four months, and then somebody tells them, hey, don't do that, do this. And they just say, you know what, let me try it. And then it's, it works out. So, um, I mean, yes, I'm sure the time together helped or, you know, having a second chance to be together. But um, really, like, uh, big adjustments were made even from a month, two months before and then in the, in the moment as well. What were some of those mechanical adjustments? I mean, if, as you're looking, because I mean, that's that's tough. You know, being coachable is a is a huge key, but also knowing what works for you too. So, like, that's that balancing act as a coach is, I know what's going to probably get them there, but if they're having success doing what they're doing, they may not want to make that type of adjustment. Yeah, I mean, it all stems from our relationships with our players, and that's something our I, I kind of talk to our coaching staff about, and that's how I pick coaches. Is you know who are going to be the the types of coaches that are going to um, build a relationship with a player and then specifically treat that player to what they need or, or coach that player for what they need. So um, our coaching staff did a great job of just that building relationships so that the, the women could trust them uh, in a short amount of time. And then, and then respond to what they're trying to say, right? If we just come in, assuming that they trust us, assuming that they respect us and just start, you know, changing things, that's not going to really work. So it was a lot of credit to the co the coaching staff and, and again, to the players and those relationships that were built. But I mean, for instance, we have a player named Ashton Lansdale and Ashton came in with a high leg kick, which has worked for her in the past. This particular time, it wasn't working for her. 
And so we kind of, you know, she came in, she wasn't successful. She was just hitting balls straight up into the air. And she's got a lot of power, a lot of speed. She's a great player. And so I kind of just, you know, talked to her. I told her to go see our, one of our hitting guys in the cage. And I'm telling you, she came back the next round and it was completely different. And then in come the four days later that we're now competing, eventually Ashton hit for the cycle in a game and she was our nine hole on top of it. And she hit for the cycle with a home run upset the center field home run. So, you know, like That's when you're those on time. adjustments. I mean, if you're driving yeah, the ball out to center, I mean, <laughs> did she just cut it down like with her leg kick? Is that is that all what she cut it down a little bit? She yeah, she was just off any. timing for, you know, for whatever reason, yep. she was just off time and she couldn't get it. And so she cut down the leg kick and then it was she was on time, you know? And so uh again, she's now back to a leg kick and it's working for her. But it's just that ability to to make the adjustments and and knowing that forevermore you might have to make adjustments. It's not just like you reach a point where you you master something and that's it. You know, you see the big leaguers do it all the time. They're constantly making adjustments. Yeah. How did you know when it was time to finish playing and, and move over to the coaching side? Oh man, it was a heartbreak. Um, I my strength was my arm, um, and you know I I. I hurt my arm training one year. And so in 2015, I wasn't, you know, didn't have the best arm situation going. And um, I just knew I either had to have surgery or, or, you know, not, or give it up. And so I decided I wasn't going to have surgery unless it was an Olympic sport, you know, the next year, then I wasn't going to do it. And, you know, obviously it wasn't an Olympic sport. And so I decided to turn the page and it was just that I had to get over the heartbreak of it. Um, and then I, and then I legit like uh, physically turned the page and then it all went all into coaching. And so, you know, that allowed me to be, you know, my best self for my players. And it was never ever about me anymore. Right. It was about me in the sense that I need to be my best so that I can give it to them. Um, and so I think that was, a. I mean, I cried about it, <laughs> but you know, once I got over it, then I'm, I love coaching and I feel like I always, um, had this in my in my mind and my heart to do once I stopped playing. Did you lean on anybody to help with the transition? I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard on all of us once we're finished playing. Did you lean on anybody to help ease that transition? No, I mean, different conversations with people, with past teammates. I mean, with um, people at work and things like that. Um, and obviously at home, but um, it, it was really just talking it through. And, but I knew what was, was true, you know, what had to happen. And, uh, I was also excited about that next phase of my life, you know, of coaching. So, uh, I think that's always been in me as far as a player. I was always like catcher. the hype girl in Man, the catch, dugout. Catch, yeah. Catcher's always the, the coach <laughs> on the field. Yeah. You know, I was, as a catcher, you get to, you get the, the added benefit of standing next to a coach during practice. So you hear all of the information that they're giving everybody else. So, um, I think it's natural for catchers to be good at that manager role, uh, just because it is something that we do all the time. But then as far as our personalities too, I think catchers are very selfless. Uh, we want the best for our teammates and things like that. So um, that added to it. I was always, if I look back on it and at every team I was on, I was always like the hype girl, right? In the in the dugout, you know, making sure that the energy was right and, and not always who rah, 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 but it was just about, you know, keeping people up uh, even in moments of, of, you know, possibility of being down and things like that. So uh, it, it kind of helped me transition into coaching. 
How about the transition with the Oakland Athletics? I mean, how does that come about? Because that's, I mean, we're seeing much more of it now, which is great. It's a great time for, for coaching in baseball because it's open to anyone. But how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, so I've, you know, been lucky to, so I was also a, a firefighter paramedic. And so as a firefighter paramedic, we're able to adjust our schedule. And and so that allowed me, which is an incredible thing. So so as a firefighter paramedic, we're able to adjust our schedule and, and exchange days. And so that career allowed me a consistent paycheck every two weeks. And then it also allowed me the ability to say yes to every opportunity. And so, you know, when I went into coaching, now what I needed to do was say yes to every opportunity, right? And no matter what it paid. And so I, it allowed me to do that. And so every time that USA Baseball, you know, offered me something, I said yes. And then I would make the adjustment on my calendar. And that just kind of led to more interactions with more people. So part of that was doing a play ball event at the All-Star Game. And in that, interacting with a lot of people from Major League Baseball and things like that, I just had conversations. And, and then they started, you know, saying, well, you should be coaching in, you know, professional baseball. So then they kind of got me in touch with people. And so I, I was put in touch with David Force, the GM for the A's. And I mean, our first conversation, I think he's incredible. So it was wonderful to have that conversation with him and then, uh, just, he gave me the opportunity to just go out for spring training, uh, which I loved because then it allowed me to do a lot, you know, everything else still. And then, uh, our relationship. So my first year was 2019 and I went out for spring training for a few weeks. And I mean, it was, it was as good as you can imagine. I think I was lucky that I fell into a really great organization. I, um, it's safe to say that not, or all organizations are like that. Um, and, but it's, it's really a great culture, uh, a great group of men that I was introduced to uh, and, and great, you know, just baseball, constantly being taught, constantly being shared, uh, really good personalities and everyone's there to learn and get better. I mean, I feel like the catching positions probably evolved the most out of, out of all of them, correct? Here, here in the last five, 10 years, it's probably evolved the most, hasn't it? Yeah, there's a there are a lot of changes, but some of them I just feel like you know why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> That's, there's a there's a lengthy rabbit hole that you can jump down with, you know whatever you believe in. I mean the main thing is receiving the ball, obviously, and however you can right. do that. And I know we we've evolved some of that, but the main thing is is receiving the ball and keeping the ball in front. No matter how you can do that, you know if you right. want to do it one knee down, if you want to do Tony Banya style, like. Again, it's, there, there's a lot of interaction on social media right now. Um, and, and I think that's the, the art of coaching and coaching players is what works for one player may not work for another. And it's, it's not black and white. So it's good to have all of those things in your toolbox as a coach. But the traditional stance might be better for somebody. And the one it just that's the beauty of, of coaching now is there's just so many op options for, for players. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's a, the other thing about coaching, you know, like it's something that you'll never master, right? Because yeah. even if you know about everything about this game, the rules, whatever the situation may be, there are still a million ways you could learn to explain the same thing. Right. So the learning, which is something I kind of uh, dove into was now as a coach, like my job is to gain all, get all the information, work through it, right. Make sense of it. And then find every way to explain the, each skill you know, to somebody because one person might understand it one way and the other person might understand it another way. 
Or like you said, one thing might work for somebody, but somebody else might need something else. So um, I, I think that it's, it's, I mean, it's great that there's so much to the position, right? There's so much that we could talk about. I could talk about catching for days and years and, you know, you couldn't shut me up about it, but you know, it's, it's, um, it's really cool to kind of see what does work and what doesn't work for some people. And, and, and then have players that are coachable that are able to make those adjustments and trust you. Again, it comes back to trusting that, you know, I, I am here just to help you and that's all I'm here for. And so, you know, this is the inf information I've gathered. This is what I've made sense of it. Here is it here. I am presenting it to you. I want it to make sense to you. And then you could adopt it if you want to. Right. So, cause at the end of the day in professional baseball, that is their career. So they do need to make some decisions for themselves. Uh, but you know, they, there is some sort of, um, they need to do also understand is that coaches are there to make that, to, you know, capitalize on that, their possibility, right. Of, of their players. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's been awesome, I, but yeah. So my one thing is I just don't like, <laughs> we can get into this, but I, I don't like that the things that are happening in the professional setting are affecting youth baseball, yes. right? Because I think um, youth baseball needs to, you know, we need to stick to the, the original way, gain a good foundation, and then we could start playing with things. But when I go to a 12U event and I tell the catchers to get into their primary stance and 65% of them go one knee down and then don't know how to squat, it, it upsets, it hurts my heart yes. is what it does. Well, and the command you know, so, is different. You know, that, that's why I always try to explain yes. it. Like pro, pro catchers, and it, even those guys still miss their spots and it still looks ugly, but you have a 12-year-old kid, that 12-year-old pitcher is going to be lucky enough to get it over the plate at times, yes. let alone try to hit the glove. Like it's just, that that's the, the mastery piece as you go up levels. Yes, pitcher's right. command is going to get better, but... With a 10-year-old kid or a 12-year-old kid, like that, that pitcher's command's not going to be great. So you're basically a hockey goalie back there for most of the time right. anyway. So you, you need a more traditional setup back there when, you, when you're in basically emergency mode on every pitch back there as a catcher. Yeah, you got to be adjustable. Capitalize <laughs> on adjustability. You know, you need, you, I mean, like even it, it even happens at the lower levels of uh, professional baseball, yes. right? In minor league, single A, double A, the pitchers don't always hit their spots, yeah. right? Low A, you know. So, so it's, we, that's something that we're constantly working with them. We want them to, at that level, we want them to have the skills and be able to do it so that if they do go to AAA, if they do go to the big leagues or to another organization that requires it, that they are able to do it. But the fact that like, they're still need to understand that in game, their pitchers aren't at the level that the big leaguers are. Yes. And so therefore they're going to miss their spots and limiting ourselves to one knee down and kind of getting stuck in one position is just that limiting ourselves. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I, I, there's a lot on that. Yeah. Hey, what are some <laughs> of the similar drills to that? So like, say you're going into spring training, what are maybe some of the things you might see there, but also when you're working with the 12 U national team kids over in Cary, North Carolina, are there some similar drills that you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, for the most part, it's all the same, you know, I think, um, Kids, especially, it's hard for them to understand, like hitting off of a tee, right? They're like, oh, I don't want to hit off of a tee. Big leaguers hit off of yes. a tee, right? So it's it's understanding that how we get good at something is is by repetition, and consistency is what defines it puts the difference between the big leaguers and the minor leaguers and the minor leaguers and the college players. So, you know, it's it's uh, repetition 
it's the same drills for the rest of your life. And so I think the sooner that we acknowledge that, like the better, obviously we could add velocity to pitches when we're receiving, we could add bigger spins on breaking pitches and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's the same drills. We work receiving more often than not. We work breaking ball receiving. We work blocking. We work, I mean, the same thing I do in my lessons with a 12-year-old, 16-year-old, 18-year-old is what we're doing at the minor league uh, sessions. And it's just that they've been doing those drills their entire lives and they still need to continue doing them because obviously they're not a big leaguer yet. Right. So it's still, that's how difficult it is. So that brings me to the topic of the automatic umpire. Why something that we've practiced our entire lives every day for hours and still haven't mastered is just being like, nah, you know what? We don't need that. Yeah. You know, that's, mm unnecessary <laughs> it's it's wild i mean it's, it's they're wild. still good i mean that people are all over the umpires they're still the they're best so good. they're still the best of what they do like and i don't care i, I robots gonna miss some pitches too like I, yes and it's it's you funky because the Atlanta again back to the atlantic league they've used the the robo umpire and there's some obscene pitches that are called strikes because it just nicks the strike zone so there's yes. some gross pitches that are called strikes. So they're yeah, they're we, not infallible either, the robo umpire. No, and I mean they try to take, like you said, the umpires are incredible. They're I mean, incredible. They that they miss one pitch a game. Yes. And we let's give the catcher some credit there. Like that's yes. against a skill that they've been practicing their entire lives. And so sure they got one away from the umpire. I mean, that's incredible that the umpires only miss one or two or three. And even on the base path, like some of those plays, you're like, oh, he was for sure safe. And then you look back on it and yep. it was like a split second and the umpire got it right. You know, so it, it's I think people just want to harp on them. But I think that's also part of the game that MLB doesn't realize. It's like, who is the crowd going to yell at if they're not going <laughs> to yell at the umpire? Exactly. You know, so like that part of the fan interaction that they want is really all they want is for fans to be happy, you know, is it's going to be gone. So that's going to take some fun away from it. Uh, but yeah, we've used the automatic umpire in like, you know, spring training games, uh, just inner squad games and some strikes that are called are just ridiculous. So I know that they did make some adjustments to the box, you know, yeah. and depth of home plate and stuff like that. But the human element, somebody still needs to set the strike zone per player. So there's still a human element in that. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's just silly. Yep. What does shame. USA Baseball do well? I mean, I know they do a lot well, but I mean, what are the things that stick out when you think about USA Baseball? What I mean, what does it do well? Man, USA Baseball, I mean, the... Oh, I, I, what are their titles? GMs, in our sense, are... are well, now I, now I need to find out their title because, or, you know, the, 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 the position that runs our teams. Oh my gosh, I'm bad. Yeah. Well, they're the, the field, they're coordinators. The I mean, coordinators. I, I think it's similar to, to how professional baseball is set up with USA baseball because they have yes. field coordinators. And for me, the field coordinator's job is the, the hardest job because you have to, you have to figure all the moving parts out with the coaches and the right. players. I think the coordinator position is the, the hardest position at, at that yeah, level so, and at the pro level. Yeah. So our team coordinators at USA baseball, I mean, they make events look easy. Yes, they do. I mean, they run smoothly yeah. and you know that there are so many things happening. And as a coach, you kind of see the, the, especially as a head coach, when you're working with the coordinator, you know, a lot of the times behind the scenes before the event, um, you see how much goes into it. And so I think they just do a, such a great job of making it look easy and then running smoothly, which is, which is, I think, 
an incredible part of a USA baseball event. Um, and then, I mean, USA, just the whole organization in itself, you know, the pride it takes and in, in, in its message and everything like that. And being able to represent USA and all that it comes with it, you know, they take, they put a lot of pride in, in their work and, and they make the players have pride as well. So it, I, it's hard to put words to it for real, but it's only been great experiences um, and, and a big appreciation for what happens behind the scenes as well. You know, for, for a 10 year old girl out there right now, that's trying to stay in the game. I mean, what are the best avenues for them to try to stay in the game playing right now? Yeah. A lot of the times, you know, people like to focus on all the naysayers, right. And so they're always like, Oh, everyone, nobody's going to let you play. You shouldn't be playing. Right. But I've met a lot of great people, right. That have supported me. And, and I mean, men that have supported me in this game. And so I think it's just finding the right people and surrounding yourself with those people, those teammates that support you, those coaches that give you opportunities and then continuing in your path. Uh, something that I tell coaches too, when they ask me, you know, what should I do? I have this girl that plays baseball. Should I tell her to go play softball? I said, no, don't tell her to go play softball. I'm, I'm sure that, that everyone she's met has told her to go play softball. So be the one person that just supports them in it. I, and not all the girls that go the baseball route are going to be successful as, as are none of the boys, not all the boys that go the baseball route are successful. It's just part of it. But if that's the path that they choose to go, let them go it, you know, like let them go on that path and be their support and help them in any way you can. And again, they might get to high school and they might not make the team and that's part of it. And then they have the decision they want, can make there. They can switch this off. And they know that's an option. I assure you, they know that's an option. So to the, to the, coaches that have girls that play baseball support them and to the girls that play baseball it's it's just find the people that are going to support you in your dream and do everything that you need to do in order to achieve your goal yeah and justine siegel's doing a good job with baseball for all too i mean she's she's trying to get more tournaments going for for baseball for all as well yeah justine siegel and baseball for all they do such a good job of yep. facilitating tournaments for these girls to play in which um is is a big you know it's the big, it's the difference maker when it comes to it, it just opening opportunities to, for them to play with other girls. Um, and then, you know, the hope is that it just continues as far as like, I, there are some club teams in college and it would be wonderful for more club teams. And then the hope, you know, one day would be to have a collegiate team. And, um, but yeah, the, the, the calendar has kind of started to get full for these girls to have events. And it's been wonderful. You know, the, before I think the first trailblazer was maybe six years ago before that there weren't that many events so we would lose a lot of the girls in the 15 16 17 age group um and then you know they'd maybe come try out once for the women's national team at 16 years old not make it and then we'd lose them forever and it was such a shame because they were really good players they just weren't you know, able to compete yet on the national team. Um, so the, the goal of having more events to fill the gaps have, has kind of started to come around. You know, MLB just added a new event to the calendar this year for the girls uh, called the EDI, the Elite Development Program. So they just, it's another high school age event. And so that just one more event for them to get high level instruction, good competition, um, and then, leads them into the breakthrough series and then so on and so forth. But it just kind of keeps creating opportunities to, for the girls to stay in baseball. And the other thing is, even if they stay in baseball, competing at that level, going to these events, you know, potentially competing on the women's national team, 
a lot of our girls we've seen go straight from baseball to, to division one collegiate softball without ever having done the in-between. So that's another thing. If you're competing at a high level in baseball with the boys, you're having to, to reach a certain level, you know, like push a certain amount uh, in order to do so. So it still makes you such a great option and a great athlete at the collegiate level for softball if it is that you have to switch. And really, it's just a timing thing hitting wise, right? I mean, with, with going from baseball to softball, obviously the timing's different and swing planes are different. I mean, I, I always right. have a lot of respect for people that can hit a softball at a high level fast pitch because that is not an easy thing to do, as we've seen video of Jenny Finch striking out Barry Bonds. I mean, it's yeah. that's not an easy thing to do. Yeah, I mean, it's pitch, pitch recognition is, is a big yeah. one, right? So you're obviously seeing the ball from another angle. It's re, You're just recalculating your brain to yeah. understand that. Uh, the change in velocity, the planes, they all, in softball, it all starts kind of center and like, like so some it's crazy amazing. breaks. Um, and then from, you know, the distance, obviously, from the pitcher's mound, most of these pitchers are six feet tall. So by the time they release the ball, I mean, they're on top of you. Uh, so it's that timing adjustment. It's also just the re kind of calculating your brain. Um, and then, um, but most of these players that do that transition at so late in their lives are exceptional athletes, yeah. you know? And so I think that's something that the, the teams and the coaches at the collegiate level value, yeah. um, their work ethic and everything like that. And, and, you know, the adversity they faced as a girl in baseball, yeah. that gives you a lot of superpower. Yep. So to get an athlete that's already faced so much and come out on top, you know, and then just have to make some adjustments, I think that's a, a real gift for them. You know, the international play, I mean, you go to Pan Am games, a lot of pressure, and you talked about vision board. What are some other peak performance things that you're doing with them to try to help them handle the pressure pack situation they're going into? Well, kind of like I said, I mean, these girls have faced pressure their whole lives. When you're the only female on a field, I mean, all eyes are on you yeah. and we don't, we don't feel any different in that sense. Like for me, when I'm at, uh, uh, at the ACE facility, there are 180 male players and, you know, I don't even know how many coaching staff, but, you know, let's say there's 220 men and then there are, there's me. And that happens across all the organizations that now have women on field, but that's the same. That's just like a souped up version of what these girls go through at the high school level or, at, you know, travel ball level. And so I mean, it's for me, it's fun because I love throwing a ball and I feel at home on a field, you know, and so these girls and I've also dealt with it my whole life. So these girls have just been dealing with that their whole lives. So they don't need to be uh, taught how to deal with pressure situations. It's been something that they've been dealing with their whole lives and have come out on top of. So um, Rachel Balkovic and I talk about it all the time on the coaching side. I'm like for for someone to to get through all those barrier of entries, they are going to be good for anybody to, to second guess why someone is there they've had a lot of hoops to jump through to get there they, they yeah. can coach they're a good coach and same thing on the playing side like if, if someone gets through all those hoops to get there and get on the field they're gonna be good right like it wasn't like somebody just had a door yes. open and was like hey come on <laughs> like you know it's like we were yes. just like barreling through them you know yes. and and you know that's the hope for like rachel and i and all the other women yes. that are in, in the, you know, professional baseball world is that we are hopes, you know, our hope is that we are now holding the door open yes. for the others, yep. you know, so obviously you still need to do the work and things like that, but it's just, if we can make it that much easier for them, then, then that's going to be, you know, that's, that's what we want. But yeah, I mean, they've faced so much like these little girls, like their entire lives have had to deal with it. Yes. 
Everyone yep. that they've faced has told them to switch to bait to softball. Yep. Everyone that they've, you know, so so like eventually, like it just bounces off of you all the negativity, and so then you come out and you're stronger because of it. Yep. It's hard to get through it, For sure. you know, but it's just knowing that at the end of the day you're going to be stronger because of it. Yeah. Do you have a fail forward moment? Do you have something you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now was one of the best things that happened to you? Ooh. Everybody has to answer this question. This is the one question. Oh my God, I feel like I need to think about this. <laughs> Sidetrack me. I mean, my I've been on a windy road. Yeah. You know, like when when like we kind of touched on at the beginning, but when I um, came out of college, I thought that was the end of my playing days. And then I got an opportunity to play softball in Spain. And then I came back from that and I started working at uh, the public school system in Miami. Um, and I studied film in, in, in college. So to be now an administrator, for construction material at the public school system um, was a side, you know, a side road in itself. And so then, then I got brought back into baseball when I, you know, was able to make the women's national team, but there in my path, there have been a lot of things that have kind of, you know, been possibilities to take me off this track, but I, I, I'm a true believer that things happen as they should, obviously with work and, and dedication, but um, you talked about the path. I mean, there's forks in the road all over the place, you know, as you're taking that path, there are a million things. And so I think it makes it easier as you go to know that, you know, usually it probably works out the way it's supposed to, you know, and, and that takes some experience and some faith, but usually it ends up the way it's supposed to end up. Yeah. It it comes back to it. It like falls in line. Right. And I'm big on like, if you're, if you're good to the world, the world's going to be good to you. And in baseball, if you're good to the, if you're good to the game, the game's going to be good to you. And so, you know, I, I try to live my life like that. And I really believe that things happen, you know, for the best, uh, everything that you look on back on that maybe was like hard to deal with in the moment. Right. You know, relationships and, and life's happenings. Like you look back and you're like, man, I learned a lot from that. Right. And it, and it put me to where I am now able to be successful in whatever part of my life that means, you know, and that's something we talk to the young girls about too, is, is in goal setting is don't think that just because you don't achieve this goal, it's the end of the world. Right. We are constantly making adjustments and we can maybe potentially come back to that goal, but it's just about uh, making adjustments along the way uh, to achieving certain goal and being okay with it changing, you know, and because we grow as people, we learn things about ourselves that maybe we didn't know. And, 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 and we now fall into a place where we see that maybe our goals should have been different from the get-go. What brought you to firefighter paramedic? Ooh. So I, uh, like I said, that's I another peak desk performance job. <laughs> thing for me. I mean, that's a high stress job as well. Yeah. There's a lot of peak performance involved with that job as well. So it's really, I mean, I'll get to it, but like firefighting, it, there's so many correlations between baseball and yes. firefighting, which is so interesting, but I, I've said it before. And I really think that when, so I became a firefighter when I was 31 years old, late, I worked that desk job for the public school system. Um, and I used to call it soul crushing. And I feel bad because I worked with really good people and it allowed me to play baseball, which is why I kind of stayed there long, as long as I did. But um, my dad also retired from the school system. So I felt bad telling telling him that because he did a good job, you know, but for me personally, that job was so crushing to sit at a desk. So, um, as a player, my, I had a few teammates that were firefighters, paramedics, and I have a cousin who was one as who is one as well. And so just hearing them talk about it, you know, the, the passion they had for it, 
um, kind of the never know what's going to happen, you know, that adrenaline rush and things like that. And just the ability to help people in their worst situations, like all those things fell in line with what I love to, you know, do. So I went all into it and became a firefighter, got hired by the city of Hollywood in South Florida. And, um, at 31 years old. And so that's I always amazing say, I was, to me at 31, <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's yeah, amazing was, to me. And that is a calling. I mean, that you're called to that job. Yeah, it was. I mean, then I went into it and I was like, why didn't I do this sooner? Like <laughs> everything I'm really good at having zero sleep and like performing during, you know, lack of sleep. I, I love helping people in situations and I am really able to control the chaos of it. Right. Which came with, with my experience as a catcher in baseball. And so, um, my beginning, firefighting i think i was i was pretty good at managing that stuff because of my experiences as a player in high level sports um and then my experiences as a firefighter have helped me be a better manager right the it was every day i was faced with situations where it was problem solving you know controlling uh chaos in a sense, uh, leadership skills were exhibited every day, maybe 10 times a day. I had to be put in a situation where all these things were practiced. So it was like a boot camp, I say, of leadership, of control, like managing, right? A, a team or a group or situation. So I think it's really helped me transition into being the national team manager. Uh, even though it's two different worlds, it was it was such a great experience in that, you know, you deal with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different situations that you can't control. Um, so just being prepared for what, you know, in whatever way possible and then managing the situation as it, as it plays out. Do you, I mean, that's a high stress job. Do you have any evening or morning routines that you feel like help you recover from, from that type of stress and that job? A lot of coffee. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm a coffee fiend, but, um, and I, so because I would switch my days, uh, in order to travel for baseball or, you know, just life, but I would work 48 hour shifts in a row and then like day off 48 hour shift day off. And so I kind of ran on coffee and, uh, you know, it's just, positive energy and, and surrounding myself with good people. So the firehouse is a really interesting place and I absolutely love it. You know, a lot of jokes, um, a lot of just conversations about everything, life calls that we go on. Um, uh, maybe regular people might hear them and be, think that we're crazy, but it's our way to cope and our, our, our way to diffuse what we just saw. Um, so surrounding ourselves with the, the personalities that, you know, I had at work and, were, was just part of it, right? The fun that we had at the station was just a way to get over what we just potentially experienced on a call. Um, and so that it was, I mean, other than that, it was, you know, whenever possible trying to sleep and, and work out. I was going to ask like you, that, I mean, are, are naps part of that? I mean, is that how well, you're handling it? So, I mean, do you yeah, have go-to like, like nap hacks? Oh, well, well, at work, you try to nap, like, um, where it's kind of like, you know, when people have babies, they always say sleep when the baby sleeps. So it was the same thing. It was sleep when the city sleeps, you know? And so if we could at least, you know, get some downtime, but we were, we're a very busy department. So we didn't have a lot of downtime. Um, but whenever possible, we could at least get a 20, 30 minute nap and it was a game changer for the rest of the day. But, you know, it just depended who was at the station and how much fun you're having that you, if you wanted to give up and go to get a nap. 
Uh, but so since then, I, I just recently resigned from the fire department, which is a, a heart. It was also a heartbreak, kind of like stop, you know, giving up my playing days. Um, but I mean, technically, yesterday was my last shift um, on the calendar. And so it, now I just get to do all the coaching stuff, which Love I'm it. really excited about, you know, and I'm looking forward to it's just that was a big part of me. I loved that job and I loved everyone I got to work with. So it was definitely a it was sad. Yeah. Well, it's still congrats. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's an amazing job. I mean, I, yeah, again, it was people great. are called to it, just like coaching people are called to it. So, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, the obvious, you know, I feel like people think it's a cliche thing, but to be able to help people, you know, when they dial 911, it's in their minds, the worst thing that they've ever gone through, whether we've seen worse or not. So just to be kind to people in those moments, um, or helpful in some way, then it was an, it was a gift, you know, to be able to go into these people's households and help them in whatever way possible. So, uh, you know, that link is, is just the preparation that the same as, you know, on field and things like that. It's uh, I've joked before that firefighting is controlling chaos and it's life and death and baseball is controlling chaos. And some coaches think it's life and death, you know, so, you know, so it's, it's, it was really a gift. I was really always fortunate to have really good crew members, which was also really nice. So, uh, great lieutenants that showed me great leadership on a daily basis and chiefs and everything like that. So it's all of those experiences have contributed to who I am today. Um, so I'm very thankful for it. What are some final thoughts or, or maybe something I should ask that I didn't? Man, I, I, you've asked some good questions. Appreciate um, it. yeah, I, I mean, I could talk about a lot of different things, but, you know, I, I think we've touched on a good amount. I mean, it's always, hmm. I mean, what um, do you feel like the, is the next step for women in baseball? I, I mean, oh, we could talk about some of my goals for the future. I'll put it I out would there love into it. the universe. Yes. All right. Yeah, I mean, I we're, want... yeah, the vision board piece, that's a first for us. We've done a lot of, and we haven't ever talked about vision boards, which I think is a huge piece of it. I've seen them and we've oh, done huge. them, but it's a huge piece. But as as you're setting up a vision board for women in baseball, I mean, what's going to be on that vision board? Yeah, so I, uh, it's currently on my vision board right now is, is I want a women's baseball to be an Olympic sport. Um, I think that I mean, there are so many countries right now that play women women's baseball, and I play it at a high level. You know, Japan being one of them, they're currently number one in the in the world. Uh, we plan on beating them the next time we see them, so that'll change. But uh, Chinese Taipei, Mexico just started competing, and they were, I mean, threw down a really great team um, the last time we faced them. Um, Canada always brings you know, great players, Australia. So there are so many teams right now that have, or countries that have so, some good teams. So I think we could compete in, in the Olympics and it would be something that people really enjoy. You know, when I talk about women's baseball, you know, everyone's always like, oh, do they hit it out? You know, like, yes, yes. they hit it out. We have players that can hit it out on a standard field. Um, but truthfully, our game isn't that, you know, if that happens, oh, we are going to get excited about it. But we are very much like, you know, old school baseball in a sense, or um, we we get on, get over and get in. Right. And and I think there's a lot of beauty in that that style of game. So that's a, um, that's the game I love. I that's love. it's an incredible game. game right. You think there's a lot of strategy involved in that kind of game. And um, so I think people would respond to it very well, you know, and, and so I think it'll just help, you know, move the sport forward. But 
Uh, I would also love there to be like a U18 team or U20 team, which um, would just kind of, like I was mentioning before, fill this gap for these younger players that can't necessarily compete with a 26-year-old, 28-year-old, you know, 35-year-olds that have been elite athletes for a very long time, um, but that are still really good and are on track to get there, you know? So um, that just needs to be, there needs to be an, an international event. So I need to get and start harping in, in uh, the WSBC's uh, ear, but WBSC. Yes. Um, and um, I just going to start harping in their ears, but, you know, I would love that there to be that kind of team as well. So those are two major goals for me for girls and women's baseball. Um, and so we need to start working for it, but everything else that's happening is kind of like helping all of that even be a possibility. So, um, you know, like you mentioned, the MLB USA baseball events, trailblazer breakthrough EDI, the grit, and then, you know, baseball for all, all of these things coming together, help, you know, those two goals come to life. Um, Kelsey Whitmore and the Atlantic League, you know, she was awesome. on my vision board. I'm not crediting my vision board for her because her work <laughs> ethic is ridiculous, but I'm just saying she was on there. You got to throw it out there. Yeah, it was, she was up there, you know, so, um, but it's, it's uh, you know, the, I think those are two big goals, but I think those would be wonderful. Will I see you back in Cary this summer? I saw, I saw you last summer. Well, are you coming back out to Cary um, this summer? I don't think so. Our women's event's going to be in minnesota and then we'll be traveling up to canada so um i don't know if i'll be making it out to carry i hope so i love that facility yeah. so yep. well, yeah good veronica i appreciate it this is awesome so thanks for jumping on with yeah me. of course anytime thanks to coach alvarez for jumping on with me she's definitely blazing a trail in the game for other women to have opportunities it's a great time for the game because anyone has a chance to carve out a career Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Jim Richardson, and Matt West in the ABCA office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter and TikTok, CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram, RyanBrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. <laughs>